Good morning. Just gonna, there we go. Did you hear that sound that came out of my voice when I lifted that? That means I haven't been working out. That's what that sound was. Uh, friends, have I ever told you about the time when I was backpacking around the Sea of Galilee? I can't remember. Um, so the story goes, I met up with this group of uh, young adult South Africans. This was about a decade ago. And I met up with them in Israel, and then they decided that they wanted to travel around the Sea of Galilee, and I thought this was a great idea, so I joined them. It became a beautiful moment. Uh, we were seeing like spots where there was likely like the 5,000 that were fed. We're like, oh, maybe that was a boat kind of like the boat that we would have seen at the Sea of Galilee. And then there was a time when actually we had one of them actually got baptized. And it was really beautiful to be able to see this whole thing take place. Um, what, what the group didn't figure out was where they were going to sleep that first night. Um, they were a disorganized bunch, and I loved it. So next thing I know, we are finding cardboard boxes that we are flattening out on some pallets of wood in this kind of sort of abandoned, seriously, like work site. And I, I'm like wrapped up in my trusty hoodie. I'm all like zipped up. I've got my travel blanket, that, uh, my airplane blanket, and I'm laying there being like kind of uncomfortable, um, but also really excited to be in a space where my imagination's going. I'm thinking, is, is this where... God, Jesus like, was talking to the disciples about this. So I'm laying there kind of picturing myself with this ragtag group of uh, South, Af uh, uh, South Africans and me kind of picturing myself like a disciple, um, all uncomfortable and laying there. Well, I wake up the next morning, and, and I am sore. And I, you know when you're on the edge of cold and cozy, there's like, it's, you're not quite warm, but you know that if you get out, it's going to be worse. And it's, it's kind of, if you've gone camping, you understand what it's like. Um, speaking of, I'm getting a little warm. Um, you have that warm, cozy kind of mix. And so I'm sitting there, uh, make the decision, I get up, I get going, life starts. And as I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm thinking, you know... That kind of combination of cozy but uncomfortable, uh, it's a lot like our lives. Um, we've all been in those moments where we know it's time to get going. We know it's time, but we feel stuck. We, we've, life is partially cozy. Um, it's familiar, but it's getting more and more uncom uncomfortable. And there are steps you know you need to take. But, oh, it would be nice to just not take those steps. There's conversations you need to have, but it would just be a lot easier to just kind of not have those conversations. Um, we find ourselves, God is calling out to us. He's urging us to take a step forward in our faith. But what if it's hard? What if it's uncomfortable? And you find yourself in that place. Well, this is where the gospel of Mark is taking us today. Uh, in September, we started a new 
sermon series. Uh, it was called The Power of the Kingdom, and it was act one of a three-act story, the gospel of Mark. So we went from Mark 1 to Mark 8, and we read all of the great miracles and the healings and signs and wonders and power and authority that Jesus had, and all of this was slowly proving what we knew at the very beginning of the book, that Jesus, this is, the, this is about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. But all of these stories are slowly causing us to lean a little closer, listen a little bit more. All of this power is evidence that Jesus is not someone to be ignored. He is not someone to be ignored. So we lean a little closer and we're asking the question, who is this man? What is the revelation of God that is going on in our midst. And so with Jesus' authority established, we now move to Act 2. And so Act 2, we're calling the path of the kingdom. So Jesus' attention shifts just a little bit from, from Galilee, and he shifts his attention now down to Jerusalem. Jesus starts to talk about the necessity of his death, and he begins to show us the way of faith. First power, then path. And without that power of God in our own lives, following Jesus is impossible. Without the supernatural support of the Holy Spirit, the way of holiness, we can't do it. Without the friendship of Jesus and the grace of God, the path is insurmountable. It's an insurmountable cliff. And so we find ourselves um, where we see that this, we can't quite grasp Everything that's going on, and we see this in the disciples too. They're kind of missing it. They're seeing, but they're not seeing. They're struggling. And so we need the, with, we need the, uh, the multiple revelations. We need the multiple stories, and we see this in the text today. Um, so act two. There is still demonstrations of power. There's still authority. There's still miracles. But there's a shift in Mark. Mark is moving towards communicating through these miracles at a different level. So they're on the surface, there's great value. But we dig a little deeper. We see some of the narrative subtleties hinting for us to look deeper. Now, for example, this is beautiful. I love it. In Act 2, we have Jesus talking about moving to the cross. He makes the shift. And physically, he works that out by actually now taking his disciples towards Jerusalem. So the physical act of his movement is also the movement of the story, the movement of the ministry. But wait, there's more. This is my favorite part. Um, you might remember a couple of like months ago, we talked about the Markin sandwich. Does anyone remember us talking a little bit about that? For those of you that are new, the Markin sandwich is a literary technique where the Gospel of Mark has this like piece of bread and another piece of bread, and then there's the filling in the middle. And you put all of it together, there's a message in the whole thing. And that's what's so exciting, is that this Markin sandwich, the entire second act, is a Markin sandwich. This entire piece gives us clarity as to what is going on and what we need to be looking for in these next six weeks. So the first piece of bread in the sandwich is the healing of a blind man in Bethsaida in chapter 8. 
which is at the very top of the Sea of Galilee. And then the second piece of bread, what do you suppose it is? It's another, it's another healing. Another blind man is healed named Bartimaeus, and he's way down in Jericho. And so we have this movement of this physical movement. We also have this narrative movement. So I think that that's fantastic. And then we have in the middle, we have the content, right? Now, there's one pastor, he, he called it three slices of cheese. Uh, Derry and I haven't been friends for a couple of uh, years now, and so I decided to go with a cold cut trio. Why, you might ask? Because that was my favorite uh, Subway sandwich as a child, because it was cheapest, um, not because it tasted best. <laughs> um, so we have this cold cut trio. Three things happen over and over again. We have Jesus predicting his death, the disciples misunderstanding, and then Jesus teaching about discipleship. And he does that three separate times. That happens over and over again. And so with all of this as a movement, we know that Mark is pushing us towards that final uh, narrative of the blind man being healed to being something really important for us to be listening to. Something about spiritual blindness and discipleship. So the direction of today if you're willing, and I hope you want to get into this with me, is that we're going to look at both of these pieces of bread. We're going to look at the first blind story, the first miracle, and then we're going to look at the second miracle. And with that, putting these two things together, we're going to see, we're going to ask the question, what's in common and what does that have to say to us? What links them together? Why blindness, for example? Why not some other miracle? And then second, what is the difference between these two stories and what does that have to say about where we're headed for the next six weeks and what has been going on in these chapters? And then finally, what's the invitation for us today? So, Mark 8, 22 to 26. Let's read that. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open it up. We'll put, them up, we'll put it up on the screen for you as well. Mark 8, 22 to 26. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. So what's, what's something that stands out to you in hearing that first story? Just think about that for a second. What conjures up in your mind? What were some of those things that stood out? Now, for most of us, we'd be like, Jesus spat. That's interesting. Another interesting thing is, why this double healing? Why, why do a healing and then it didn't quite work and then heal again? What's going on there? Well, here's a couple of other elements. The people brought him out, um, and they begged Jesus. Uh, Jesus led this man by the hand and led him out of the village, Jesus interacts with him with spit. Weird. Interesting. Um, 
and it only works a bit, it would seem. Jesus heals him again and restores his sight fully. And then Jesus sends him home saying, don't even go into the village. Don't even go into the village. So, yeah, and this is an, an old art depiction of that healing. All right, second story. We're going to jump to the second story now. So with some of that in your mind, some of these elements, let's go to the second story. When they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, uh, Bartimaeus, or Bartimaeus, uh, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, uh, many rebuked him and told him, be quiet. Um, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, be on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. All right. So, what stands out to you about this passage? There's some differences and there's some similarities. And these differences and similarities matter. Um, first of all, this man was named, right? He was given a name. Um, the other person, there was no name. So this is an actual character in the story. The other blind man was kind of just a, 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 a plot point. So that's one thing to notice. Um, when the man heard Jesus um, was near, he called out, um, he, when, when he was hushed, he cried out even louder. When given permission, he threw his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, he ran to Jesus. There's a bit of contrast there to what the other blind man did, who was led by other people. He wasn't even the one asking to receive sight. People were asking for him. Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do? And he gives a clear, crisp answer, I want to see. Jesus declares, your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. Contrasted with this kind of slow healing that takes place with this other blind man. And then finally, Jesus says, go. But that go turns into following, contrasted with the blind man going home. So these pictures, we, we need to wrestle through that. I, yeah, some of this nice old artwork you can see the aggressive attitude like where Jesus is just standing there waiting whereas Bartimaeus is the one actively going after Jesus and this is the story that concludes this entire uh, second act act of Mark so that's really valuable all right so what does this have in common what do they all have in common both men were given physical sight and that's about it that's the one thing that they have in common. They both, um, they got to Jesus very differently. They interacted with Jesus differently. Um, what they did after meeting Jesus was different, but they both received grace. 
Uh, for me, this is a critical point. Jesus came to seek and save you and me. He came to heal. He came to restore. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not even our own passivity, apathy, antagonism. This is provenient grace at work. This is the grace that goes before us. This is the grace which precedes human action and it reflects the very heart of God. God is the initiator of any relationship with him and it reveals him as the one who pursues us. Passive or active engagement with God doesn't change God's love for you. Grace is in God's nature. And so we have this first man who doesn't really, he's not really involved, but Jesus still meets him where he's at. Whereas in the second guy, he is active and he goes after Jesus and Jesus meets him. And this is really, really good news because we are all sinners, right? We have all fallen short of the glory of God. While we were still enemies of God, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. So before we go any further and we look at the good on the second story, the miracle of that, you know, the, the second path, I want to invite you that you need to know that right now, even in this moment, God's grace is upon you. His heart is for you. He is pursuing you. He loves you and he is enabling you to have the ability to turn away from the life you've been living and turn towards him. That grace is available to all. But let's go back to this first sad individual, the passivity, um, the lack of engagement. He's brought by people. He didn't even ask to be healed, right? And then Jesus must do everything for him. And you get a sense that maybe this is connected to why it took so much more work for this healing to take place. That there was this lack of engagement where Jesus steps in, does this first healing, and then needs to do it again. So that's one possible component. However, this two-staged miracle, it can't be an accident. This is not Jesus making a misstep or doing something wrong. So Mark is telling us something in this two-staged miracle. And if we were to go back up to Mark 8, 18, now that's not part of our story, but in that moment, the disciples are getting into an argument with each other about what Jesus meant by the, the yeast of the Pharisees. And then Jesus turns to them and he says, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not understand? And then this is the important part. He asks, are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? So Mark is having Jesus say these words and then just a few passages later, we're having a man who sees but isn't quite seeing. This is a picture of spiritual blindness being so difficult and complicating and challenging that even the disciples who saw Jesus in all of his glory still couldn't quite understand it. This miracle is a, is a message to us, a message to us about the challenge the disciples are about to face in their confusion and an invitation for us to see that as well. So why blindness? It, I, we have our spiritual blindness. It's so easy for us to miss it. 
and the disciples, they had everything in front of them, and yet they still couldn't quite see it. Even later on, just after this miracle, is when Peter declares Jesus to be the Christ, and then Jesus starts talking about the hard things, and then Peter says, no, 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 you're not, you're not going to the cross, you're not dying, we're not going to have any of this, and he rebukes Jesus. So at one moment, this, this disciple is declaring him the Christ, and at another moment, not quite seeing it. And for some of you, this is what keeps you, this is what keeps us taking that next step of faith. Perhaps you've seen the power of God. Perhaps you've seen Jesus transform your kids. Maybe you've seen God at work in your life, and yet you still can't seem to fully grasp the necessity of giving your whole life to him. You're still holding back. You're still not sure. Um, you, You can't quite see the point of giving your whole life over to Jesus. You're seeing, but not fully seeing. And this is the challenge to us. This is the challenge to me. You know, we might be cozy, but there's a discontentedness inside of us. We've might, we might have been attending church and being a part of community, and we've been enjoying that, and yet we're not quite willing to take that next step. We don't quite get it. Well, I believe the Spirit of God is calling all of us to let Jesus place his hands on you again. Because the first time, it was a partial step. But will you let him transform your perception of reality? Will you let him reveal to you his authority, his passion, his love? Will you walk with us together over the next six weeks with eyes as wide open as possible to see what Jesus is saying to all of us for what it means for us to be disciples? And this is when the grace comes in again. If the disciples can blunder three times, actually, throughout this whole series and misunderstand, get angry with God, and yet still end up having a vibrant, joy-filled faith that produces good fruit, we can trust that that's for us, too. Okay, so the first blind man is a picture of how hard the journey can be, that spiritual blindness is a real thing. But by God's grace, we have the second story. The second blind man is a picture of something greater. Um, So point three, this is kind of where we're at. Life with God is a partnership. Life with God is a partnership. Uh, Dr. Rob Snow, a friend of ours, mentioned to me the other day in reference to these two texts that when you put these two stories up together, you can see that life with God is a partnership, and we need to choose to be well as much as we need faith to expect God to heal. We need to choose to be well as much as we need faith to expect God to heal. So can, can you picture Bartimaeus? I can. He's at the side of this road, and Jericho is kind of a hub, right? Everyone from the east would come to Jericho before making their way to Jerusalem. So there's a gathering, there's people there, and he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is nearby and he's yelling out and people are embarrassed and they're like, dude, like, don't embarrass us. Like, he's the local blind man. It's likely he hasn't gotten very far. He probably lives around the corner. Um, he probably was born around that corner. And so people know him and he's making a scene. People are asking him to be quiet. And when he hears the invitation, 
he jumps up, probably crashing into several people on his way, not asking for help, just going towards where he perceives Jesus to be, making a mess of things. Jesus doesn't seem bothered by any of that. He just leans in and says, what do you want me to do for you? And you might think it to be an odd question, but you'll later on, and this is not for today's sermon, but through the next couple of weeks, we'll see that that question is asked as well to James and John, who give a terrible answer to the question. Whereas this blind man, when asked, what do you want, us to, what do you want me to do for you, answers really, really well. Um, and so he stumbles forward, having all of this happen, and then there's the miracle. And the miracle happens fast, it comes quickly, and it's this celebratory event. Bartimaeus says, I want to see. And we know now, having seen some of this text and some of this literature, what's going on is it's not just a physical healing that Bartimaeus is asking for. He's asking to have eyes to see what, what Jesus is all about. Eyes to see the true Christ. Not, not the king with the sword, right? But the king who's going to a cross. He's asking to have full sight, full perception. And I love that this man doesn't go home. He doesn't return. He follows. This healing produces a disciple who follows Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. This miracle, after three rounds of confused disciples, this gives the reader hope. Spiritual blindness will not last forever. Spiritual blindness will not last forever. And with spiritual eyes that see the truth, we, I, you, us together, will be able to follow. Uh, one of, part of the story that I didn't tell um, when I was in uh, traveling around the Sea of Galilee was we got to the, the area where they think maybe Jesus um, had all of the pigs fall like off the cliff. And so we go out to kind of that beach area. It's a beautiful, warm day. Uh, we're hanging out. We make it our way all the way around and then we're having the baptism and I'm taking that photo and then I look around and I realize something doesn't seem right and I had forgotten my hoodie. Now, somewhere on this journey, and you need to understand, I was the type of backpacker that, was, that crammed for six months, crammed everything into a bag, this bag. It was my only coat, jacket, hoodie, and kind of sleeping bag all rolled into one. So it was critical for me to find it. So what does a smart person do, a smart young 28-year-old? I discovered where it was. I was like, oh, I remember. I put it on the rock when it got really warm over by where the pigs fell in the, into the lake. So I go out to the street and I hitchhike. Um, I did. Don't do this at home, friends. Just, just stay home. You know what? Never hitchhike. Um, but I, I had heard by this point that this was actually an environment where hitchhiking was really common. People were often catching rides to go to different areas in that zone. So I had been given kind of a word of confidence, you know, from some of the local people that this is okay to do. So sure enough, I hitchhike. Within minutes, someone picks me up and they're headed up north. So I go around the bend and go up and then I, they can't go the whole way. So then I get another person to pick me up. I'm driving up there asking, what am I doing? Where am I going? I'm like, 
I forgot my hoodie on a rock. And they're like, okay. Um, and then so I get there, and they actually waited for me. So I ran out, find it. I was like, oh, thank you, Lord, so much. My coat is there. And so I run, I pick it back up, I hold on to it, I hold on to it. It's not this one, but I threw that one out because after six months of basically never parting from it, 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 it had been worn. Um, and I make my way back, and then I have that uncomfortable sleep on cardboard paper. And when I woke up, I, I was cozy but uncomfortable. And when I think back to the story that we just read, where we have this man, there's a piece in the story that I love, and it's a reference to his cloak. Now, earlier on in the service, uh, Pastor Brian referenced uh, Exodus 22. Exodus 22, 26 says this, If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset, because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. Or, uh, some of you might know the story in 1 Kings 19.19 with Elisha and Elijah. Now Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. Uh, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Or 2 Kings 9.13. They went out... Um, they went out of deep respect quickly. They took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, uh, Jehu is king. So we have these pictures. Or do you remember the story of Joseph, right? He's got his cloak on and uh, Potiphar's wife grabs hold of his cloak and he's willing to leave his cloak behind and he runs off. So we have these components. We have this long history of pictures and metaphors and stories of cloaks, garments being wrapped and used. And then we get to a blind beggar. who was, This was likely his only possession. That's something that might be hard for us to picture, but in all reality, it was probably the case that this was his only possession. It would have been precious and necessary kind of like a rich man's home. It wasn't just a coat, but shade from the sun, a bed, safety, security. He would have known every fiber like the back of his own hand. People would have known him for the cloak that was draped over his shoulders. They would have recognized him from the corner. He would have clung to it with desperation, because he needed it for so many reasons. And with that picture in our minds, when we hear the story that upon hearing the invitation of Jesus, he throws it away. They, it, the, the text actually says that he throws it aside. He puts it to the side. He gets rid of it. The significance of a cloak, just like with Elijah to Elisha, was more than just a comfort. It was protection. It was identity. It was a marker of who he was and who he was becoming. We know that in the story of the lost sons, right? We have the father who wraps the cloak around the son, protecting him from those who would stone the son. 
A cloak had significance, it had depth of meaning. And this blind man, even before being healed, what does he do? He has thrown the cloak aside. Before he was healed, he was already leaving his life behind. Are you sensing the weight of that moment, the faith that he demonstrated in that activity? He isn't just running towards Jesus, he's leaving a life behind. He's walking away from being the blind beggar, and he's already started following Jesus on the way, even before being healed. The cloak is done, it's gone, it's served its purpose. It has no place in this man's new life with his new identity. What What cloak works for you, worked for you when you were blind? (laughs) Metaphorically speaking, what cloak, what wrapping, what is now just ratty old rags that are getting in the way? What part of your life has become, it's no longer comfortable and it's starting to get more and more uncomfortable and it doesn't fit with your new life in Christ? What part of your life When you look back and when you grab hold of it, it just brings you back to brokenness, blindness, and a life without Christ. There are things that we have in our lives. There are things that are in my life that we we have a tendency to want to go back to. Like I remember how warm that cloak was, but it, it doesn't serve a purpose for us anymore. We have convictions, we have resentments, and wounds that have come to define our identity. But Jesus has invited you to come to him and to throw that cloak aside. There are sins that you keep returning to, these ratty old rags that give you temporary comfort. But Jesus has invited you to come to him, to throw the cloak aside. Why would this blind man hold on to something like that? It makes sense for him to leave it behind. And yet in our own lives, it is so hard to leave those things behind. He knew that that would just get in the way of his new life with Christ. So he throws it aside. Overcoming spiritual blindness is hard. We stumble, we lose our way. We go back to the old cloak. But there is grace, a grace that goes before us. Whether passive or active, we know that God is at work in your life. So we have that. And then we have that next invitation. We have that step that we know that we are being enabled to throw the cloak aside and surrender the old identity, surrender the crutch, and by faith take a step towards Jesus. Life with God is a partnership And we need to choose to be well as much as we need faith to expect God to heal. And Jesus asks you, what can I do for you? And how do we choose that? Where do we go? Uh, The worship team's gonna come up, uh, sing a concluding song. Um, As they're getting ready, I'm just gonna pray for us and our time. Heavenly Father, there are some of us here in person or online We've been holding on to a way of life. We've been holding on to our comforts and our securities and we know that it's not for our future. 
And we have to let those things go. We have to throw them aside and by faith take a step towards you. Lord Jesus, I ask by your Holy Spirit that you would convict and stir and help us to throw that stuff aside, to make the decision to pursue you. Even when we don't know the whole way and we're bumping into people and we're making mistakes, Jesus, we, we need you in all of this. And we are so thankful that whether we're active or passive right now in our faith, you are at work. But for, for you, Lord, who are calling us to move from passivity to activity, for us to take action that you are ready and willing, help us to throw the cloak aside to let go of those old behaviors, actions, and attitudes and trust you with our lives so that we can fully follow you, just like Bartimaeus did. He threw it aside, by faith walked to you, found healing, and then followed you all the way to Jerusalem. Lord, teach us to do the same in these next six weeks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.